0: Hello, hello. I'm Bon Koo, the host of Design Lab. It's a podcast that explores the intersection of design and health. We have a special show for you today. It's actually a rebroadcast of an episode of Knock Knock High with the Glockham Fleckens. It was such an honor to be a guest on their show. I spoke with Will and Kristen Flannery. We had so much fun talking about fax machines and design fails in healthcare. You can find them on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. They are witty, funny, and cool people. The Philadelphia Inquirer, which is the main newspaper of my city, actually published an article of me being on the podcast, so that speaks to the reach that they have. My producer, Rob Puglisi has a great idea for us to engage with you, our listening audience. Go to our website, designlampod.com. There you can submit your favorite design fail in healthcare. I talk about one in the podcast with Will and Kristen. Then we'll pick our favorite design fail and share them with the entire listening audience. Okay, now here is my conversation with Will and Kristen Flannery on the rebroadcast of Knock Knock High with the Glockham Fleckens.
1: So we have Dr. Bon Koo. Ban is the director of the Health Design Lab at Thomas Jefferson University and an emergency physician. And we are so excited. This was a fascinating conversation.
2: Yes. He talks all about healthcare design and why people in medicine should care about design and, yeah. and how it can help.
1: That's great. So let's get to it. Here is Dr. Ban All right. We are here with Dr. Ban Thank you so much for joining us. I know Kristen
0: in particular; mm-hmm. uh, she introduced me to you, very and, and she is very excited for us to talk with you this morning. I'm way more excited. This is going to be my claim to fame because you all are famous in the emergency medicine world, Uh-oh. <laughs> but for like... much
2: more ridiculous reasons than yeah. you. So, <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, do you do you actually ride a bike? I do. I I'm a big mountain biker okay. and surfer. So all these memes that that you have, I
2: And he's drinking a Diet Coke. Did you see that? (laughs) Oh, oh my God. I did not see that.
1: Oh, there you go. I love it when my stereotype fits perfectly with a specialty. 100% fit the mold. It's embarrassing. Uh, In fact, one one time I was at a, a conference, totally unrelated to emergency medicine, and I just ran into an emergency physician while I was there who was on his way to go kite surfing. And it was just uh, just classic emergency medicine doctor. What are the things that you do that are would be considered dangerous to anybody, any um, normal individual?
0: Well, sometimes after I work a night shift, I've been up all night, I get into my car that already has my surfboard in it and I drive an hour to the beach to go surfing. And then sometimes I'm so tired, I just pull off on the side of the road at a random rest stop and sleep in oh my car God. for like 20 minutes oh and then like I surf all day. So, you're, yeah. So, you'd rather
2: s- surf than sleep after yes, a shift. Exactly.
1: Well, it's not like that. That you're like up all night working very hard and then decide to go out into the ocean.
2: Yeah. Or well, get in a car and drive. Yeah. It. I
0: mean, there's several, there's several things there. I, I would not recommend <laughs> it. It's, but I, I gotta get my surf in. How often are you doing basis? night shifts? I do a couple of night shifts a week okay and so I this like is not infrequent yeah. no no it's very very frequently but <laughs> i have a system set up i've been doing it since residency okay. i used to like uh surf in new york city of all places uh in really Queens. yeah, so I used to. and back then it was like 12-hour night shifts. I only work eight hours now, so that's not a are big you just deal. So uh, I would work
2: surfing in the Hudson River yeah, or, or what? Yeah and no, Far Rockaway,
0: Queens is actually a big surfing community in oh. New York City out of all places. You huh. actually to take a subway to surf. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You well, got to
2: get your board on the little subway train, and
0: I had a car, so it made it oh, a little okay. bit more convenient. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to ask how.
1: How does someone, I'm always fascinated by origin stories and how people get into the things that they're involved in. And so for you, you know, obviously, you know, as an emergency physician, you started seeing that there, this, this health design, uh, we're going to be talking a lot about this. And so I'd number one, want to know, like, how on earth did you get into this type of work, but also like, what is it exactly
0: help our listeners yeah. understand this? Well, one is I've always wanted to apply creativity in medicine, but was really frustrated because there was no avenue to be able to do that. And I feel like creativity is a skill that can be taught, and creativity is important even in a quote non creative field like medicine. Because you know, I think creativity helps us to solve complex problems. And I had this opportunity in um, the medical school where I'm at in Philadelphia to teach design to medical students, a human-centered design or design thinking. And that was a way for us to tap into our creativity as medical students, as physicians, and to put on a mindset of thinking like a designer to be able to apply the principles and methods of design to healthcare. So it's not just about when people think about design, they think, well, you're just kind of making the aesthetics of a product or an object better, but it's a lot more than that. It's really applying empathy, applying skills of prototyping, of really being able to tap into our innate creativity as humans, and, but so, in the healthcare space.
2: So two questions. One, you know, why do that? Why is that important? And two, how does design thinking differ from scientific thinking that maybe most people in medicine, or at least the stereotype of medicine, might be more familiar with?
0: Yeah, yeah. Great question. I, I get this a lot. And I feel like, you know, I'm not saying to abandon the scientific method. You know, I, I'm a researcher, I have a lab, but I feel like we could blend the scientific mindset with the creative mindset. And, you know, many of the problems in healthcare aren't black and white solutions, right? There's a lot of ambiguity in the healthcare space. You know, there's multiple drugs or treatments we could give for a specific disease. And a lot of times there's not a clear cut answer to that. Sometimes there is, right? If you have a tumor that needs to be excised, yeah, that needs to go away. But so many of the problems are ambiguous. And I think design can help us get to a better solution, by helping us embrace that ambiguity.
2: Hmm. Which is very cool. What, what do you think that the biggest barriers to good design in the healthcare system are right now? Because to me, it seems like it's, you know, hor- <laughs> horribly designed yeah. as an end user, right? I'm not a participant in creating any medicine or providing any medicine, but I do, you oh, know, yeah, show you up are. and go you, to the doctor. You saved well- <laughs> his life right
0: there. Oh my gosh. Yeah,
2: a
1: little bit, you get a little bit of that.
2: Well, not in any licensed yeah. capacity, let's put it that way. But I've seen some pretty, pretty bad examples. Like when I did CPR on him and I came to the hospital, it was at like the height of the COVID pandemic. And so I wasn't allowed to, mm-hmm in except as an end of life case. So ultimately I did get to come in, but I didn't get to see him and not get to be with him. And where they put me was this little exam, like not exam room, a waiting area for patients. After they would gown up, they would be waiting for scans. And it was in radiology. And when I go around speaking, I always like to ask doctors if they know why that's a problem. And they never, they never think of why that's a problem. So I'm curious if you might know from a yeah. design perspective.
0: I think design excels at making experiences beautiful. And most of our experience in healthcare aren't beautiful. There are these crummy experiences of, yeah, I've had the worst day of my life and then mm-hmm. they put you into the worst place in the hospital it looks like, you know, you're at the um, DMV getting your driver's license. It's just like just a terrible experience and we don't think about the end user. We don't think about how we might design a better experience for patients, family members, caregivers. Yeah. Uh, like and there's do a functional component, industries. too, of well, the yeah. design. What do you mean, a functional component?
2: Well, in radiology, the walls are lined with lead.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah.
2: So I'm in there all alone, isolated, and then they just cut off my cell phone signal. Oh. So they cut me off from the outside world, all for just, you know, bad design, bad forethought, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm curious, you know, that's definitely... we're really kind
0: of flying by the seat of our pants.
2: Yeah. I'd like to think it was that. Who knows? Um... <laughs>
0: Maybe a little bit. About... <laughs> Things haven't changed since the <laughs> pandemic, I think, yep. in our experiences in hospitals and clinics.
2: Right. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that was an example that I've seen in my own life. So I'm curious... Why is it that way? What are the barriers to making things better?
0: I feel like as in, in healthcare, we don't appreciate the value of design. I think so much of what we do in healthcare, you know, we're putting out fires all the time mm-hmm. and in design, there's a saying of a form follows function. You know, the chairs that we're sitting on, they look that way because they're supposed to hold us up in, in the air when we sit so we don't fall down. And my buddy, Brendan Carr, who's an emergency physician, says in healthcare, form follows finance. Yeah. And the incentives oh, yeah. are so perverse in healthcare. And because of the way that our system has been intentionally designed leads to poor experiences. So you can think about you know, the financing of healthcare, the way we pay for healthcare, These policies impact our experience as patients, providers, and clinicians.
1: So there's two things we can do then. We can, going forward, we can have more of a form follows function type of thing, but then how do we, we got to figure out a way to fix the problems though that are already in place.
2: Yeah, you can't just completely eliminate the finance piece of it, but how do we add in, (laughs) maybe a third component.
0: Yeah. I mean, but you know, when we think of the financing of healthcare, that was someone design the financing of it, you know, decades ago that are the way we pay for healthcare is through insurance through. Who was that guy? I just want to talk to him. I think it was like in Texas, (laughs) maybe (laughs) a long time ago. (laughs) Okay.
1: Go back in time and, you know, do a couple things, and
0: have <laughs> just a stern conversation, a stern talking stern to that, talking that person. To. And in other countries, they haven't designed it that way. And right. just because we experience this, have experienced this for decades, we don't realize. Yeah, at some point, somewhere, some body, some entity, some policy was created, and we have a system that was perfectly designed to give us our experience of it right now. Right. Right
1: perfectly designed to make us all miserable to suck. Uh, and and financially devastate people that's yeah. that's a, so you are going back you you're a med student and that's when you started getting into this idea of design and and wanting to combine creativity no i you give me way too much credit oh, I, it was, it yeah. was later
0: <laughs> the way, yeah much later but i have always been i was fascinated about design but didn't really know what it was i never formally studied Design, I was a classical studies major in college, so I'm this weird guy who studied ancient Greek and Latin, and I I actually didn't want to go to med school at one point because I... um, What were you going to do instead? I don't know. So that's probably why I went to medical school. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, you already knew all the words. So you were one step ahead of everybody else. I, true. My, my
0: parents would <laughs> disown me. They're, they're from immigrants from South Korea. And they say, hey, we came to this country, so you could go to an Ivy League school and become a doctor. Literally. So I've been brainwashed. So yeah. it would have been <laughs> caused chaos in, the, in our universe if I had not followed a path of medicine. Gotcha. And yeah, so I've always been, you know, I geeked out about the design, like industrial design, the design of products, of how architects design buildings, and have always been kind of fascinated by this process. And I thought, well, why don't we do this in healthcare? Because I believe that design can bridge technology and patients. Like we have the technology, but there's so many times there's this mismatch where we feel like something's missing there. And and I I think the bar is so low for us in healthcare, both from the clinician side and the patient side, for us to make these experiences that we have beautiful to bring humanity into our experiences. And what you have said about the pandemic of, of separating patients from their loved ones should never, ever happen again. That was the most Mm-hmm. That was the hardest thing I think I've experienced as a physician in, in my career. It was it was inhumane. Yeah. And if my loved one, you know, if my wife or my mom ended up in the hospital and was dying, I mean, you would have to get the security and police from me not going into that room. Like I would literally barge in. I was like, I don't care if I get COVID. I don't care if you arrest me. You are not going to separate me from my loved one. Yeah
2: yeah it was it was rough, and there are a lot of people out there in that situation that are not dealing with stories. the aftermath of being Certainly. separated in these horrible circumstances. Oh, so
0: so many stories, and you know, I've had experiences of telling family members that their loved one was dying on the phone. It was just it's
2: yeah, so it's you know how,
0: you know, going into you know thinking about our next crisis, how can we make hospitals safer? for patients, their family members, so this doesn't ever happen again. How can we design hospitals with more ventilation? How can we ensure supply chains so this inhumanity will never happen again? So now you're the director of
1: the health design lab at Thomas Jefferson University. Congratulations, by the way, that sounds very impressive. (laughs) I mean, I think being a physician is enough. Like you didn't have to go and do like a whole nother, like really impressive thing, but good on you. Can you give us like a concrete example of like something you tackled from a design standpoint that you saw?
0: You know, one is I have these 3D printers in the back of me here. That, I see those. Yeah, so we were starting to we look at a lot of different emerging technologies, so desktop 3D printing, and we bought some printers years ago and thought, you know, what can we do with this in the healthcare space? You know, you know what are the applications of this technology? So we started doing some research, working with our surgical colleagues in the beginning, and and said, hey, can we use this as another Data point for surgical planning. So complex surgeries were, you know, working with our head and neck cancer surgeons around mandibular reconstruction and thought, hey, can we print out the mandible from a CAT scan and do some surgical planning? So one technique was bending a titanium plate in the OR in real time to stabilize your uh, mandible, your jaw. And we thought, hey, why don't we print these out first? Pre-bend these plates, so we don't have to do it, in real so the surgeons don't have to do it in real time in the OR. You know, sterilize them and see if we can match uh-huh. it, and so save some time. So that's like one practical example of of we have this technology. How can we think about human centered design and apply it in to real problems in the healthcare space? So that problem was you know decreasing OR timing in complex surgery. So we've done a lot of research um, around that you are in one of the best places for finding out where those
1: problems are, right? The emergency department, there's probably so many design things you're, you got like roaming around your head and, Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Do you have like a Holy grail of like design you're trying to, you're trying to unlock?
0: You know, one is, yeah, the Holy grail is how do we keep patients from being in hallways when they're boarded in the hospital? So if I could prevent boarding in emergency rooms, I feel like I could die. And that, that would be like, it'd be better than winning the Nobel prize. Cause I think it's <laughs> the most inhumane thing to do right. when you are, when you go to the ER, it's probably the worst moment of your life. Mm-hmm. And then we go, okay, well, we're so busy. Uh, you waited 10 hours and then we're going to put you in a hallway bed and you're going to wait maybe two, three, four hours a day two days to get upstairs to your admitted bed. I mean that is yeah. inhumane that happens and I go how come this doesn't happen anywhere else in the hospital? Like imagine going into the ICU and having a boarded patient like in the hallway on a ventilator in an ICU or think about maybe other industries of if you hop on a flight and go hey I was assigned a seat but then they're like, oh, no, you, we don't have a seat for you, but you could be in the aisle for this entire like eight-hour flight, you know, transatlantic a transatlantic flight. A little overhead bin space we could
2: <laughs> yeah, we could do just you slip
0: too. you into. <laughs> yeah,
2: uh, and no.
0: that is a great design challenge of you know how do we prevent boarding? And I think a lot of people will go, well, we just need bigger emergency rooms, right? Because so we could have more beds. Well, I mean, I don't think that is the answer. I think it's a lot of the policies that we have, that prevent a patient from going upstairs from the discharge processes to a human capital of, of we have nurses and other clinicians, you know, leaving healthcare in droves. And so when there's a shortage of hospital beds, I, I don't like that term because I think there's like really the problem is a shortage of nurses and other frontline workers. The, what do they call it? The great resignation? Yeah. So everybody,
1: everybody's leaving.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. And how can we how can we redesign the experience of a nurse or a clinician working in a system to be a great, great experience? I mean, I love the humanity that I see in so many of my coworkers. You know, we really at the end of the day want to take care of patients, but then when we treat uh, healthcare workers, put them in the most stressful situations, like don't give them the resources that they need, it's gonna lead to burnout and it's really frustrating because I visit a lot of like tech companies, and I go and I go. This space is beautiful. There's like light here. There's places to decompress. There's like free food and kombucha <laughs> on tap. And I see my residents like stealing turkey sandwiches from from the patient trays because there's no food. I'm like, we need to give some compassion to our our healthcare workers who are in the most stressful situations.
2: Yeah. And I think I'm assuming that some pushback to that might be, well, that doesn't increase the bottom line, right? That's if form follows finance, where's the finance in that? But I think that that's maybe a a short-sighted way of thinking about that problem, because if you can retain your healthcare workers, if you have less turnover, if people are able to treat patients better, right, then the patients are happier, the patients get better faster. I mean, all of that would affect the bottom line.
0: Yeah. And burnt out nurses and physicians are going to give burnt out care. Right. To me, it's a simpler formula. Like, yes, it's going to be some short term pain, but it's going to be have better long term impact upon the delivery of care. Can you 3D print a
1: solution to this? (laughs) (laughs) Is this how how close are you?
0: (laughs) Well, you know, it is a complex problem that needs a different mindset, Uh, you know, like how can we give it a different lens? You know, a great part of design is questioning a problem from multiple different angles. And I think in healthcare, we assume that we know the answers all the time, but how do we pause, take a step back? And how do we think about a better future state? I think designers are so optimistic and they have to be, they have to think of how something like a product or service or space is going to look like in the future and to create a path to get there. And I don't think we do that in healthcare. You know, we don't think about, hey, how are we going to create a better system in 10 years from now, 15 years from now? Because we're so busy literally putting out fires every every day in our jobs. Mm
2: -hmm. Right. Yeah, what do you say to people who... You know the idealism sounds great, the optimism sounds great, but there's the practicality of in the realism of the situation. So how do we balance those things?
0: Other countries are doing it. You know that I was just reading these stats of we here in the U.S. out of all the high-income nations, like we have the worst health outcomes. We experience the worst health outcomes. The we have the i think the lowest life expectancy at birth the highest maternal and infant mortality rates you know the highest death rates for like treatable conditions mm. and we are the richest country in the world so other nations have figured this out and, th- and this is you know nations like like new zealand and a lot of mm-hmm. european nations and south korea from where my parents are from and they figured it out and so it's not a technology or a financing issue like we have the finances we have the technology and I, I really believe it's that we design these policies incorrectly you know we have not put the human at the center
1: well let's take a quick break and we're going to come back with uh, dr Bon ku <laughs> All right, we are back with Dr. Bon Ku. Now, Dr. Koo, we we've established that you're you wear two hats. You got this design thing, you got the emergency medicine thing, and that emergency medicine provides you with a lot of interesting experiences. And I know that you yourself have had an experience as a patient and kind of a really exemplifies how sometimes bad doctors are as patients. Would you care to share with us this?
0: Okay, this is this is embarrassing. It it happened a while ago. I, as we said before, I'm addicted to surfing. And one time I was surfing, and I don't know what happened. I think the board hit me in the head pretty violently. And I was in the lineup and in the ocean, and, and I'm thinking, how long have I been out here in the ocean? And I was like thinking, what happened this morning? Like, how did I even get here? And I paddle up oh to another God. surfer near me. And I said, yo dude, how long have I been here? <laughs> and he says, I think you should probably get out of the water. So <laughs> I get out of water. I call my buddy who's another emergency room doctor and who I surf with. And I said, Hey Ed, did we surf together? Or did I call you this morning? He's like, yeah, dude. Like you called me. It was like, we had a whole conversation this morning. I was asking about the waves and he said, don't drive home. You should like just check into a local emergency room down there. And wow, I'm like, dude! I'm like, I am driving home. I'm not gonna go to oh my local my like local hospital. Uh, like otherwise, I felt fine. I just I had retrograde amnesia. Yeah, I yeah. couldn't remember what happened. I'm starting earlier to that think day. your
2: driver's license should be revoked.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I go home and I like I feel fine, and then I have to work an overnight shift later that day. And my wife goes, "You are not working. You need to go and seek medical treatment. You might have like a bleed." I'm like, "I don't have a bleed. I don't have a headache." And so it's said, fine. That's fine. Yeah, that's my favorite I'm, line. I'm just like uh. a terrible patient. I don't have a doctor, and she just for she drives me to the hospital before my shift, and my colleague takes care of me, and she ends up getting a CAT scan of my head and my neck to look for like a dissection or maybe a. One of my arteries that caused me to like have some amnesia from the head trauma. And then I get this freaking report that says there might be a bleed there in my neck or something like that, or maybe abnormal anatomy. (laughs) So I call one of my trauma surgeons and I go, Yo, can you just like take a look at this scan? Cause I got to work tonight. And
2: oh my God. And he's
0: like, He's like, I just think it's like, just I don't think it's a bleed doesn't look like a bleed it's just probably fine. one of your vessels <laughs> have, yeah, yeah. you have some abnormal anatomy there vascular anomaly and, or something. and he just said yeah and he said why don't you just put on a cervical collar and just you know come and just we'll, we'll see you in the morning I was like I put on a cervical collar and worked my entire shift with that. I couldn't like, I had to oh turn like goodness. this. My patients were like, are you okay? Yeah, doctor? that would
2: be a little nerve wracking to see your and, doctor ended show up, up like that.
0: Ended up I was fine. I saw a neurosurgery resident later. <laughs> later because after you my have shift. to work at uh, all costs.
2: Yeah, I do really. because. There's no
0: oh way. my gosh. What am I, am I going <laughs> to call people? out? Like Because if, if I yes. call out to a shift, then I have to call a colleague to work. And I was like, I'm not going to do that of oh some, something silly of some head trauma. And some Just some retrograde silly head amnesia. trauma.
2: Just can't remember anything. <laughs> no and I'm going to go treat patients and have their lives <laughs> in my fine. hands. It was retrograde but I don't want to ask someone else to <laughs> It was to come retrograde
1: in. amnesia. <laughs> yeah. I was oh asymptomatic. Goodness. I didn't have a headache. Yeah. No
0: nausea, vomiting. Yeah. It was fine.
2: You people are infuriating. <laughs>
0: She she always gets mad. I have
2: put up with this for I don't know. too It's long terrible.
0: Now. Yeah,
1: yeah. When, you know when I, I had my cancer diagnosis, I tried to continue working, <laughs> and and uh, and I yeah,
2: like he left the ultrasound room where we got the diagnosis.
1: I was like on and call. went to work. Well, oh my god! I, I tried to. I ended up yeah. having to to leave because it was. Too much emotionally oh. to, to bear yeah, but like
2: I told you it would be.
1: That that's just another example of why doctors are terrible patients. We don't yeah, know how to take care of ourselves.
0: It's so it's so bad. I, I would not do that again. I was like younger back then, I'm older now. So
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> talk about a design flaw in the way we
1: all think
2: yeah. <laughs> about
1: our own health. <laughs> so I I prepared something here. This is just kind of off the top of my head for the most part. I came up with some healthcare design fails, like in my own mind, like yeah. these are failures of healthcare. And I thought we could just like talk about them yeah. and maybe we could maybe come up with some. Maybe you know how
2: to fix them.
0: I'm, I'm, ex- yeah. I'm excited about this. This is yeah. one of my favorite topics, healthcare design fails. Well, yeah, absolutely. And if you it's, have...
2: There's so many to choose from. <laughs> and,
0: and if this
1: triggers some healthcare design fails that you know of, please feel free to chime in here. All right. The first one is probably something that you've actually encountered. In your job, I know I have. Eye drop bottles and super glue bottles look almost identical. Uh oh! Can you imagine how this could be a problem? Yeah. What do you think, Kristen? What do you think happens?
2: People put super glue in their People eyes. People put
1: super glue. Have you ever seen a super glued eyelid shut? Have you? I... Is oh, this is yeah. real? Yes. What oh you ha- I
0: have not yes. seen that yet. Oh but... yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It probably. I hear about it probably once or twice a year. And so again, we're in a big metro area. So, you know, we're, we're gonna get more of everything. But yes, people think they mistake the super glue for their eye drops because like gorilla glue, it can yeah. uh, some some of them come in little bottles that have like a twist cap. You know, obviously it's like sometimes people that use eye drops they can't see as well. Yeah, and so, sure. you know, for <laughs> some reason they have the the eye drops and the super glue like on the table, like together or in a drawer together. And then, sure enough, they super glue their uh, eyelid shut. Uh,
2: yeah. Well, like, so you just can't open your eyes? What happens?
1: Yeah. Do you so you rip
2: your cornea off?
1: Well, actually, you know, I do guess I can tell out? you how to treat this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> actually, people think that it's the eyelid that gets glued to the eyeball, but actually, what happens is the eyelashes get glued to the skin of the lower eyelid. Mm. So, so, actually, what you can do is just cut the eyelashes mm. off. And then the patient should be able to open their eye.
2: Hmm. Okay. So Not it's, as it's, horrific it's actually, yeah, as I was envisioning.
1: fairly, I mean, it, it is horrific for the patient because they think the worst, obviously, that they're going blind, but then when you can fix it, it's great. But anyway, that's uh, healthcare design. Like what?
0: Yeah, like designers have, have a responsibility uh, ma- yeah. making, making some of these products. So remember that there was like that TikTok challenge of people, like kids eating like laundry detergent. Oh, the, mm-hmm. Tide Pods. the Tide Pods. The Tide Pods. And why would a designer ever design something to look like candy? It looks just like candy. Like, yes. why would even. Bright that, colors. Yeah. Yeah. Bright colors. Like, About that it size. looks like something that you would yeah. want to eat and consume. Like, it should never have been designed that way. And basic things. One of my favorite slides that I use in a lot of talks, I had to retire it because I use it so much, but I get so many laughs from the audience, is that we have two thermometers in our trauma bay, an oral thermometer and a rectal thermometer. Oh, no. <laughs> and if you look at it straight on, you cannot tell which one is the oral thermometer, which one is a the rectal thermometer. So oh, no. our nurses did a hack of of we have with a marker go rectal, oral, because the only way you could tell is a, a dot on top of the probe itself, red or blue. I'm like... Oh, You should make those things very different because in in an emergent situation, when we're working like in a hospital, you're just going to go quickly for a thermometer and no one wants a rectal probe (laughs) in their
2: mouth. Oh boy.
0: No, no. I would say, I would
1: say not. Nobody wants that. So that reminds me of crazy glue and, uh, uh, crazy glue and eye drops, uh, rectal and oral thermometers. Uh, different things should should, should look, look differently. Different. Yeah, yes. <laughs> look differently, feel differently, sound differently. Exactly. All right, here's one. Can we design a better way for patients to
0: sleep in the hospital? Oh, I think about this so much. Yeah. So we've we did some exploratory research on this with sound that there are way too many alarms in a hospital, needless alarms. You know, so you could like how can you design an ecosystem of alarms where the devices speak to each other? Because currently, medical manufacturers of these devices, they can put any freaking alarm they want on a device, but there's no system that orchestrates all of these sounds. Mm. And then also, you know, why do we need a, a 2 a.m. blood draw on a patient or right. 2 a.m. vital signs? Like, Can we eliminate that and prioritize sleep for, for patients? So I think... There are so many ways where we can minimize sleep disruptions, or design, redesign the way that we take care of patients overnight. Mm-hmm. Redesign the alarms that we have for in the hospital, or even the we, rooms we, we, themselves.
2: Yeah, the rooms. Like, yeah,
0: you know, like well, why? I don't know
1: if we still have. I'm sure we still have lots of hospitals that have like two patients to a room, but that should probably not be a thing. Yeah, I don't but know. It still happens. Yeah,
2: yeah, and even little things like just make it a little more comfortable and, and nice looking in there, right? So you can relax and, and sleep. It's or have, such a, have
1: windows that can, you can crack open and get a little
2: Yeah, a little some air. fresh air or yeah, something. Fresh air.
0: I, I mean, I wish I had that during the pandemic, right? Because yeah. not all of our rooms were negative pressure rooms. And because of the way hospitals are designed, they're hermetically sealed. And right. I sometimes I wish, I was like, I wish I had an open window and I could put a fan in there that I could buy a Target because th- mm-hmm. I would feel protected, right? So yeah, I have a a buddy who's an architect, Michael Murphy, and he talks about, you know, how can we design hospitals themselves to have PPE? We think of mm. what would that look oh, like—the yeah. PPE of of buildings, of ventilating them. But instead, we we just think of the humans in those buildings. That, hey, we could put PPE on them. Mm, right. That's a good point. All right. How about? Um... Can we design
1: away fax machines? Is it you mentioned fax machines earlier. Is there a do you perceive a world in the future where we do not rely on fax machines?
2: Yeah, I feel like the rest of the world, the rest oh, of the, the rest industries of the have there. figured this out. So, what's the problem?
0: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it is You're it, the director it, of the health design lab. If you can't figure this <laughs> no out, one can. nobody can figure this out. okay, one This proves my point that we don't have a technology problem, right? We have a design (laughs) problem, right? We have the technology to send secure patient information over over many other mediums besides a fax machine, but we still use fax machines routinely. So the system has been designed to keep these archaic 1980s technology. And I think it's funny because our medical students nowadays... The first time they've seen a fax machine is their third year clerkships uh, in the <laughs> hospital. So like they literally don't know how to use a technology because it's the first time they've encountered. They're like, what is this? You know, they're yeah. I'm like, oh, I man. am old. Like these kids do not know what a fax machine is. So I don't think you know,
1: it's ever going to happen. I don't know. How are
2: fax machines any more secure than encrypted data? I mean, the paper just sits there on the other end. You have no idea uh, I, I, who's going to see that.
1: I don't know. I mean, that's that was the argument for fax machines for a long time was that it was like HIPAA compliant. Like so, how
2: though? Like there's the paper just sits there. Anyone Uh, can go by and read it. It (laughs) does.
1: It does just sit at the fax machine. So it's. I think there's limits. It's still super cheap uh, to have, and it's it's a
0: real cheap, secure way of of sending information. But it infuriates me. Like I. (laughs) My daughter had to get ACL repair and she tore it and And then at one point they're like, yeah, can you fax over some information? I'm like, are you kidding me? Faxing fax over. over information. My That's-
2: favorite is when sometimes my, you know, healthcare institutions where I receive healthcare will ask me to fax something. And I'm like, no. No, I like can't. from your like house? How would I even do that? Yeah. <laughs> your
1: residential. Like,
2: maybe the public library might still have one. Let
1: me find a fax machine.
0: Oh, I thought it was a moral argument. It's like, no, I refuse to. <laughs> but well, it's both. Because you don't have a fax machine.
2: Oh, <laughs> yes. The principle of the matter. <laughs> Who does? Who can do that anymore?
0: All
1: right, I got a couple more. Can we design a better slit lamp? Oh, yes.
0: <laughs> I mean, they're so hard to use. Like I yes. did a few weeks of ophthalmology as an emergency medicine resident. And so, you know, I I put some time in to learn it. But Good for you. It is, yeah, it's big and cumbersome. You know, you so need... Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah. For those of you who don't know what a slit lamp is,
1: it's a, a machine on wheels that basically it's a microscope that allows you to look at the front and the back of the eye with a uh, fine the detail. the thing
2: when you're a patient and you go to the eye doctor and yeah. it's the one or two, one or no, two. No,
1: no, 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 that's the four-opter.
2: It's the big thing that that's sits not, on...
1: No, no, that's not the thing. No. <gasps> I
2: All this time, I thought that no, was the, the slit lamp. No, the slit
1: lamp is the, <laughs> Look the, at that. Slit lamp's the bright light that they shine in your eye, the thing that you hate so much. Okay, they dilate but, your but eyes and they shine a bright light. The, the thing you, you're talking you about... You
2: still have that thing on your face when they do that, right?
1: No, not necessarily. You got to put your chin on that yeah, thing. The chin yeah, there. that thing. Yeah. That okay. Thing well, I, I think you're maybe thinking about maybe you're combining, maybe we should combine the two into one device. I yeah, don't know, I think
2: we might be onto something here because anyway, from the patient the perspective, slit lamp, that it, seems it, like the same thing.
1: It looks like a, a medieval torture device, it really does. It feels yeah. like one, too. It, I'm, I, yes, it so does, it, I'm sure it does. And it doesn't, you, know, you wouldn't a know because you've
2: never had an eye exam. A lot of body, <laughs> it's true. Okay, you're calling really? me out here. <laughs> well, yes. well, look. It,
1: It it is true. I don't wear glasses. I never have. And I I had one. You still get an exam. That's what you tell me. You're right.
2: Doctors are the worst patients.
1: We're the worst. Keep coming back to that. Anyway, we need a new, a different type of slit lamp. One that, like, also depending on your body type, it doesn't fit a lot of people. And so it's just all around needs. And a and I think we one. need a,
0: we need to design a slit lamp for non-ophthalmologists because I don't need all those bells and whistles. I just need to look for exactly. like a corneal abrasion, right? And I and I'm like, there's so many dials to get it perfectly. I was like, I I don't need to do that. And
2: slit lamp for dummies. Yeah. Business well, idea like, of the like day. Me. Like I well, need
0: you, a slit lamp designed for <laughs> me. <laughs>
1: I'll tell you this is a people listening have probably heard this already, but this is what I always tell emergency physicians. Like, if it's been a while since you've sat down at the slit lamp and you you're trying to remember what everything works just to the patient you say who messed with this thing <laughs> and it's going to it's going to buy you a little time to try
0: to figure I'm, it out i'm again. totally so anyway, going to like write do. write that down that that's a guy have all these scripts for patients that that <laughs> i use so you know, i'm like i got to remember that one
2: yeah
1: okay i have one more one more design fail um how do we design nicer cardiologists <laughs> Can, can we do something do you, about this? What do you
0: mean? I think the cardiologists in my hospital are, a lot of them are nice. Oh, you
1: have to say that, okay? <laughs> yeah. They're, they're going to be listening to this. I'm so glad you have nice ones. No, I'm hard on the cardiologists. I had like one or two of uh, the difficult experiences as a med student that might have ended up with me crying, but you know, I think overall probably they're nicer than I imagined, but um, you know, maybe we could just cut out the asking about details on an EKG. Uh, maybe that's, Oh yeah. I don't know. I,
0: you know, and I think that it's a, it's a funny question, but it is a serious question too. Like how can we redesign medical education and how can we, how can we design behaviors? Right in medicine, how can we redesign those behaviors? You know, if I, when I was a medical student, you know, when I I had a surgeon throw surgical instruments in a room and yell at me and say, "Hey, maybe you shouldn't." I was thinking about going to surgery, but it's like, "Well, maybe you should go into pediatrics instead." I'm oh, like, "What? Well, that no. is so mean!" What pediatrics is a great field, and like that yeah. is like like it's so insulting. So I think medical schools are doing a better job of designing behaviors and. Modeling out there, but I think we can yeah. we can do better. That sounds of, like a difficult a difficult endeavor to redesign I would redesign love to behaviors. see some
2: co design in medical yeah. education too, from patients and families and physicians. Right? Like, how can we design this whole system to work better for the people? I think it's B.J. Miller has that great quote about healthcare systems are designed for diseases, not people, mm. which is to say they're badly designed. Yeah. So. I want to see people have input into what can be better. And then we start just teaching people to do those things. You're speaking like
0: a true designer, Kristen. I think (laughs) Stanford (laughs) Medical School has a co-design process in their admissions. I think they actually have like patients from the community participate in interviewing medical students. Oh, because that's that's going to be their patients. Yeah. And then a patient may go, hey, this undergrad or this applicant has no social skills or no emotional intelligence interesting. maybe maybe you hmm. should not accept him.
1: oh and that's an interesting idea
2: yeah oh, i could talk all day about this stuff
1: well let's let's take a break and then uh, we're going to come back with a couple of stories from a very special person
2: oh all right
1: and uh and so we'll be right back with dr bangku <laughs> All right, we are back. We're going to take a look at uh, a couple of special stories from Kristen's dad. Yes, or more actually, more your grandfather. My grandfather, yeah. Your dad,
2: exactly. My dad sent these in to our email address, which I thought was really cute. That
1: is cool. <laughs> and and your grandfather was an obstetrician. Yep. And. He actually designed something very yeah. special. He designed what's called the Mighty Vac, which is a, you'll have to help me. I think it's a, like a plastic disposable. It's a vacuum
2: extractor.
1: Vacuum extractor. It's a
2: certain ah. kind of vacuum. Like the vacuum extractor as a device existed, but it was like made of steel and it was really, you know, a, not a great experience for the doctor or the baby. And they came out with a big, you know, cone on their head and that freaked the bombs out. And it just all around. It was doing the bare minimum, but wasn't doing a great job. And so my grandfather always used to tell the story of he was sitting in a sauna one day. Where and all
1: the best meetings happen. And <laughs> uh,
2: there's another guy in there, and he would say, you know, you got to talk about something while you're sitting there naked. So they just started making small talk about what they do and it turns out he was a plastics manufacturer and one thing led to another and and they came up with a new design for the vacuum extractor that involved a certain kind of plastic and anyway he patented that and and that's the mighty vac and it's still in use Today. So I thought these stories are particularly appropriate for this episode with you, Banku. Oh,
0: that that's so cool. <laughs> I love like where inspiration comes from. It <laughs> yes. can come right. from a sauna. It can Make come it from... an asana. <laughs> <laughs> right. Some that's of right. my best moments are in the shower when <laughs> I'm not right. on, on my devices. I my my brain can just like go down different pathways. Yeah, and... oh, I just oh, put two you.
2: completely unrelated things together and something magical comes out of it.
0: But so you know, the... I, I encourage like a lot of us to look at outside side healthcare for inspiration yeah. you know designers call this like there's a term for this called like analogous inspiration of looking at another industry for some inspiration so you know like a lot of us in healthcare airlines, you know, we get a lot of inspiration for them and kind of like pilots, how they use simulation. And, you know, why can't we teach simulation to doctors instead of having them take multiple choice question tests every 10 years to get recertified, but maybe they should have as rigorous processes like pilots do to get, maintain their certification.
2: Or even just cross-disciplinary within medicine. You guys are so Mm -hmm. siloed that it just doesn't You know, allow for these moments of creativity
0: to. Yeah, I don't think I've talked to an ophthalmologist in 10 years.
2: Yeah. (laughs) That's right.
0: (laughs) Doesn't surprise me whatsoever. Anyway, radiologists, I never see them anymore. We used to have reading rooms. I loved going back and to the reading room and talking with a human. Now it's just like over chat th- in the electronic health record. You th- yeah.
2: You
1: think you haven't talked to certain doctors? Say, hey, when yeah. was the last time I talked to anybody outside of my own field? I don't know.
2: Just this podcast.
1: This, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So these are a couple of stories from Kristen's grandfather. So, and your dad sent us these. So says Kristen, your grandfather enjoyed telling the story of a mischievous patient of his who became bored lying in bed in the hospital recovering from surgery. The nurse brought him his lunch and a small plastic bottle for a urine sample that he was was to fill at his leisure after he finished his lunch, which included apple juice. He then surreptitiously poured his apple juice into the sample bottle and waited patiently for the nurse to return. As she asked for the bottle, he started to hand it to her and then abruptly stopped just short of handing it to her, held it up to the light and said, Hold on a sec. This looks a little cloudy. Let me run run that through again. And then started, and then and then to the startled dismay of the nurse, quickly chugged it down.
0: <laughs> that's great. Gotta
2: give that another pass through the kidneys. You gotta give that another pass that through the more. kidneys. <laughs> that was a good one.
0: I have not seen that. That's, that's a great one. <laughs> that was a different. That's a good. <laughs> uh,
1: that'd still be a pretty solid <laughs> prank on your on your nurse. I'm sure that would that would throw people for a loop. Okay, the second one. <laughs> He also told the story of a high school boy who worked part-time in the afternoons at a small filling station garage in a tiny rural community nearby. The boy came to him complaining that he was having difficulty urinating. Your father examined him and quickly became suspicious something was up. After quite some interrogating, the boy confessed he had grown bored the day before and found some small ball bearings lying around and thought it would be a cool idea to shove them up his penis and shoot shoot them out while peeing. That was oh the goal my uh, gosh. to shoot them out. I'm sure Ouch. you have probably encountered your fair share of things in orifices
0: um, where they not, should not be, all, where they should not be, all all the time. And you know, I used <laughs> to like. Why do people joke, do this? I don't know. And like, you know, there's like crazy X-ray findings of all this stuff, and you know, people sticking foreign bodies up the rectum and urethra oh, wow. and swallowing stuff. And uh, you know, as I grow older, I go. I started asking patients like, "Why did you do this?" And yeah. you know, I had one patient keeps on swallowing here? objects, and he's like, "You know what? I'm like, I'm just like depressed, doctor, and this is my way of, of dealing with oh. the stress and depression." I'm like, "Yeah, I mean, yeah." It's like it's sad, you know, because yeah. this guy has to go to the operating room and. I'm sure you yeah. probably get
1: a lot of different reasons, a lot of interesting conversations come yeah, from those types of Yeah, I mean, those we, have, we have the best
0: uh, stories to tell at cocktail parties. I oh, mean, yeah. it's kind
1: of one sure. reason oh, I went oh, to this I, specialty. I've heard a lot of them.
2: <laughs> yeah. All
1: right. You can send us your stories, knock, knock, high at human-content.com. Dr. Banku, thank you so much for joining us. Before you go, let us know what's going on in your life, uh, what you want people to know about.
0: Yeah. We have a great book on called. Oh my gosh, you have it! We have (laughs) the book. Of course, we have the book. It's a wonderful book. It's called uh, "Health Design Thinking." It's co-written by a famous designer named Ellen Lupton, and she did the second edition during the pandemic. And we use examples of creativity during the pandemic. So, if this intersection of design and healthcare is interesting to you, check it out and. I have a podcast called Design Lab where we explore this in depth. So we have like architects on, industrial designers, physicians, other folks. And we just like take a deep dive into the intersectionality between design and health. Very cool.
1: Not only is it a great book on design, but the book itself is designed very well. It is. It's very pretty. It's very pretty to look at. It
0: is. It is. Yeah. Jenny Tobias did all the illustrations. It's like graphing paper here like an EKG yeah. machine and it's <laughs> awesome. it's it's a beautifully designed book check it out health design thinking
1: Banku, thank you so much uh it's it's really been a pleasure talking to you
0: this was a dream i'm going to be so famous in emergency medicine now like, <laughs> you you both are legends like i'm going to be like i'm going to impress people in my specialty so thank you <laughs> all right good talking to you take care
1: We are your hosts, Will and Kristen Flannery, also known as the Glock and Flecken. Special thanks to our guest today, Dr. Bon Ku. And our executive producers are Will Flannery, Kristen Flannery, Aaron Corney, Rob Goldman, Shanti Brook, our editor and engineer, Jason Cortizo. Our music is by Omer Benz To learn about Knock Knock High's program disclaimer and ethics policy, submission verification and licensing terms, and HIPAA release terms, you can go to Glockenflecken.com or reach out to us at Knock Knock High at human-content.com with any questions, concerns, or other medical jokes. <sighs> Knock Knock High is a human content production.
0: Don't forget to support design lab, subscribe to our podcast, go to our website, submit your favorite design fail, sign up for our newsletter and leave us a review on apple Podcasts and give us five stars. Design Lab is produced by Rob Paglisi, editing by Fernando Carey rose Our theme music was created by Emmanuel Houston and the cover design by Eden Liu. And special thanks to Will and Kristen Flannery for having me on their podcast, Knock Knock High with the Glock of See you next week.